Hello and welcome to All Change Please, our podcast about leaving a big city behind and starting afresh somewhere new. We are Jane and Jean Anne, journalists and friends who enjoyed our own love affairs in London before settling down with less racy, more reliable locations. Jane to Bexley in Kent and Jean Anne to her hometown of Derry. Each episode, we speak to fellow city quitters about why they left, how they took the leap and what their new life's been like. And this is our second last episode of the series, Jane, and we have a really good one for you today. Yeah, Millie McMahon is the true definition of a city quitter. Not only did she leave behind her life in London for the more rural setting of her home county, Worcestershire, but she also made a major career switch. She left her glam job as a music editor at ID magazine for the life of a community nurse. Now, Millie still writes the occasional feature, but she's totally committed to her new life. She's really embraced outdoor pursuits like horse riding, and she's getting to spend a lot more quality time with her dad as well. So let's hear what Millie has to say about making the big move and why she's glad she quit the city. Thank you so much for joining us today, Millie. And uh, I should point out to listeners that if you hear a little pitter patter in the background, that's Millie's miniature sausage dog, Molly. So uh, hi to Molly as well. And thank you both for joining us. (laughs) (laughs) Your life in London, you were music editor of ID Mag. It sounds like kind of you were living the London dream, you know, gigs and festivals and all the rest. Tell us a wee bit about it. it yeah, it was an, it was an amazing opportunity. Um, I got my internship when I was about two years through my um, university uh, degree. So I dropped out to pursue this internship. Actually, that was that was a dazed and confused um, internship. But then I switched to ID and I worked back then. There weren't laws around internships. So it was a year mm. of no pay. Um, going in full time to work and working in evenings in a bar and I, then I lived in a squat so I didn't have to pay rent it was like it was wow. hard graft but that that kind of instilled in you the, the hunger to, to want to do to do the work and it was such an incredible job we went to London Fashion Week and sat front row um, I interviewed uh, people like Drake and Steve Coogan so many interesting people mm. and the lifestyle was great it was you were never at home you were out all the time like you say festivals and it was an incredible way to live my 20s but I think you you become quite a different person in your later 20s to your early, early 20s so it was perfect for a younger part of my life um, living fast and a lot of kind of superficial fun but as I grew older, I began to not feel as fulfilled on a deeper level by the kind of work I was doing. So I, I was think, thinking about uh, moving away from that. But um, it wasn't an easy choice because it was such a privilege to have that job for so many years. Because for anybody that um, isn't a sort of avid magazine reader, um, ID magazine and Dazed and Confused, they're really considered sort of uber, uber trendy, um, you know, yeah. and um, you know, they're really kind of at the top of their game. So that, that must have been a difficult um, pull for you. It, it was. And um, I think when you're in that lifestyle as well, your work is your social life. You're all bound together by working in this world. And it was quite um, a big change in direction (laughs) from journalist (laughs) to nurse. So how did you get to that final, make that final decision? It's such a big leap. Um, Yeah, I I began to feel quite lonely in that scene because I felt like there were certain parts of me that felt um, a bit detached from what was going on. And yeah, I just felt a shift in myself. So I remember being sat at my desk one day and just feeling a little bit lost and Mm. thinking, is this definitely the right thing for me in the next 10 years? 
it was a bit of a leap of faith because I had a conversation with my dad who brought me up and knows me very well and he just suggested nursing and I was just looking for something and I've always trusted him so implicitly I just decided you know what I'm, I think I'm ready to just try something that drastically different. That's amazing and when you decided to be a nurse did, did that coincide with you moving to Worcestershire or what did you were you planning on doing that in London? No it was so much more of a drastic change it mm. was quitting my job giving up my house wow. and leaving London all in the space of you know like probably two weeks. <gasps> was there wow. something that happened Millie or was it just a kind of a decision that had been coming for a while uh, I think I kind of reached a rock bottom where I was starting to feel that there was um, this quite prevalently hedonistic scene happening in London quite associated with working in the media Mm. Um, and I didn't know how to navigate that Mm. and I was feeling like especially in a very male-dominated environment like Vice I was becoming quite overwhelmed by everything that was happening. Mm-hmm. And in, in all honesty, I was very unhappy. And I think it's easier to make those huge changes when you're unhappy because you don't feel like you're gambling with much. On the surface, you can tick loads of boxes to look successful, but yeah. that doesn't necessarily mean that inside you feel validated and you feel like you've you've got self-worth and I didn't have either of those things before I made that switch. I agree and I think Jeannie and I have have worked in the media for years as well and there's this outside thing that everyone's like such a glamorous job it's so much fun but actually it's actually a really hard job sometimes isn't it it's like you say I worked I worked for my sins on the Daily Mail as my first ever journalistic job and I bet you have some good stories. Oh, I do. (laughs) But it was very male-dominated. It was very sexist. Um, It was hard work. And then you say, you're right, you go to the next bit. There's a very hedonistic lifestyle. You're meant to go out to parties. And and if you don't do that, you're kind of ostracised a bit. Yeah, because I think journalism is seen as it's such a privilege to to do it. And you feel so lucky that you managed to get a foot in. And, you know, you feel so lucky to have this job that a lot of people would would really want um and and you feel you have to give it your all but it can be exhausting well you know um it's it's odd because this is something I truly feel and I don't know if if it makes sense to someone to try to explain it but like I said I used to have these interviews these conversations with these incredibly high profile people and now I'm a district nurse and I go and I'll care for people sometimes 105 years old people who have you know lived through all sorts of incredible things um the stories they tell me or the little things that I hear from them I feel are truly more uh I don't know what the word is but they're they're so emotional and it touches me so much and and it stays with me resonates with me on a level that I didn't feel previously so in that sense I know that this is the right thing for me I am more comfortable with ordinary than being in that extraordinary world now but I I, I wasn't like that in my 20s in your 20s you just want to reach don't you Um, and then I think if you're comfortable in your spot in the media then that's fine if you have a lot of support but I was kind of out on my own in London and I don't have family apart from my dad so it wasn't it wasn't stable enough for me in that sense. I think Jane and I can definitely relate to that like interviewing 
a lot of celebrities and who they didn't really want to be there you probably didn't want to be there either <laughs> by the, towards the end of our sort of showbiz careers. But, um, you know, you couldn't get a straight answer. The, you know, they were jet lagged or, you know, um, their press officer was in the room telling you to stop asking the actual yeah. interesting questions. And, yeah, you, yeah. you just come to a point where, as you said, real people are probably what's the most interesting to talk to and um what, you know what's really bizarre about an interview with someone is before you meet this person you're meant to be an expert in them and there can be the sense that if you don't know a detail or you get something wrong you know you failed mm. and I think expectation to talk to someone and for them to for them for you to think well I hope mm. you know everything about me otherwise you know I'm I'm gonna think less of you is a really bizarre situation it's like when they don't know anything about you (laughs) yeah you've just got to be completely fake like like have total anonymity when you're talking to that person it's um it's I think that's what can be challenging after kind of being behind the scenes and trying to promote something other than yourself for so many years even though there isn't a heavy a a heavy uh, investment in self-promotion to get places you have to be pushing forward your vehicle all of the time because it's so competitive. Totally. I wondered, um, Millie, just uh, that a lot of people listening, I think, will be possibly considering a big career change too. And how do you know when the time is right? It sounds like you knew for sure (laughs) that your time in London was up, but how how do you think people should realise that this is the time to do it? I wouldn't say, you know, I was 100% this is right the whole time, you know, like... The first time I stepped foot in a hospital and I was a student nurse on a ward and there I was, you know, told to bed bath uh, a man who, you know, he couldn't communicate with me. He was totally bed bound. I'd never done anything like that. And I thought, oh, my God, I've gone from that life to this life. Like, how do I navigate this? But actually, you have to think what put you there in the first place. Why? Why are you feeling like leaving? Have a bit of faith in your intuition, because as much advice as you'll ask from other people, you're only looking really for confirmation of what you really know. I also struggled with the lack of status, you know, dropping out from having this title of of working at ID to not having a salary and having student before, you know, whatever I said I was, student nurse, it's hard. But anything that challenges you like that really helps you build your character, helps build your resilience, and it adds something else to your perspective on life. And at the end of the day, you are going to be doing what you're doing as work for the rest of your life so you'll kind of become that role Mm. so if you can find ways for that to feel like you're doing something which you can look back on and feel proud and know that was progressive for you then that's great but if you have doubts then there's no there's no harm in just considering other options and talking to people who really know you Mm. because they might have recognized that you have been uncomfortable for a while and would, would really appreciate having that conversation with you. And do you think you've definitely made the right decision? Like, do you think this is you for life now, nursing? Oh, is, gosh. I've is changed it? so, so much. And I feel like I've changed for the better. Um, mm. And I've come full circle to the way I was as a child, really, which I think if you can stay as close to your childlike self as possible, then I think you can, you can be more in touch with your happiness. Mm. But if you're running away which I think sometimes you are if you're not feeling comfortable in what you're doing, you're unable to connect with yourself. Uh, And I think I'm connecting with myself through working cathartically with other people. I think, you know, 
a move towards altruism is the best way to try to find peace in yourself. If you're constantly looking outside of yourself and not into yourself, you're going to be seeing the world in a broader perspective. Mm. Um, and I think it, the, the same goes with social media. You know, if you're taking pictures of the world the whole time, then your photo stream is going to be this, this beautiful and um, diverse set of images of nature and people. If you're constantly taking pictures of yourself, well, that look at that photo stream on your phone. That's how narrow your world is. Mm. Your, own, your own, and that's that's not a place of, of, I think, a sense of satisfaction for the way that you're living. Mm. It's interesting you mentioned about um, job status because our first ever interviewee on our podcast was um, uh, a, a former journalist, Rebecca Martin, while she still is. And when she left the city and left her very big job at Marie Claire she lost her identity for a bit. And I think I've had that happen to me as well. It's so weird, isn't it? That we're identified with what we do. It's only a part of us. I mean, even now when someone meets you, the first thing they do really is ask what you do. And when I, one thing I found in London is when people ask, how are you? The first thing you go to is talking about what was going on at work. Oh, I'm doing well. Um, I've just got this new feature out, which is, you know, but none of that really engaged you on a one-to-one about mm. what's really happening in inside of you. And now I live in Worcestershire where, you know, worlds, the world moves at a slower pace. I think nice. people are more comfortable with being less impressive, which is kind of the place I'm at in myself yeah. as well. I was going to say you're, you're judged as you as a person rather than you as a employee or what, what you do for your living. I think so. I mean, and don't get me wrong, nursing is competitive. And when nurses meet other nurses, they still do the same sort of like career um, interrogation that journalists might do. But I think that people look at me in a different way now that I'm a nurse and mm. I prefer to be seen in this like rather than I never felt comfortable saying I was a writer or a journalist I honestly didn't know how to define myself and now I really feel like I do define myself by my work but in a different capacity I like to be seen as somebody who who is a nurse and that's the light that I'm kind of put put in Mm. so um I do feel like I found my place now Oh, that's lovely. So nice to hear. But did it take a long time to settle into that new place? You know, was it a hard transition? It was, I think, because I was used to communicating with people completely differently as Mm. a journalist. And then I went into this cohort of student nurses. And I honestly, maybe this sounds arrogant, but I didn't know how to communicate with this cohort of people. And so I kind of was quite reclusive and uncomfortable for a very long time mm-hmm. um, which helped me throw myself into my work I did I I naturally felt at ease in nursing um, sometimes the nursing culture it can be very difficult um, and as a student nurse you are tested and not mm-hmm. just for your nursing skills but also through the culture so I kind of felt well equipped to deal with that from my time working as an intern because it's just kind of put up shut up and get on and it's a similar sort of expectation and there were times when I was working 14 hour shifts in Leominster which is a two hour drive from me and we could work back to back shifts so I'd literally come home sleep get up and go back to work and it's heavy work you know Mm. so I would be really tired and I think I cried every day for the first two weeks because we had to do things like you know last offices which is when people pass we we wash their bodies Mm. and we prepare them um for the morgue and 
And doing things like that is a real journey because we've all had loved ones pass away and you don't actually think, you know, what happens in mm. the hospital when someone passes. Uh, and it's kind of beautiful to think that there are people doing things for the people you love, even when they're not alive, to make mm. them comfortable and to show respect. We, we put little roses on people's um, chests before we put the sheets over them. Everything is done with such care and kindness. Mm. It's beyond comprehension. So even though I was crying, I wasn't sad. I was just really overwhelmed mm. at what I was seeing. Yeah, and also you've gone from a job, and I say this as someone who's done, been a journalist for many, many years, there's a bit of levity, there's a bit of nonsense to it, to actually doing a job that affects people's lives, properly affects people's lives. That's a big thing to take on board, isn't it? There's so many things that I see in the world um, and I don't quite understand how things are gauged in terms of their status and, mm. and what they're, what, how, how um, we pay. I look at people with incredible skills in different areas and some are recognised and, and have a, um, a level of prestige to them and others aren't and there doesn't seem to be a hell of a lot of sense to to those mm. things as they stand but I guess if you're working in a world around people who have so much status and fame then it kind of rubs off on you by proxy so therefore everybody kind of has this approach to life where there's a superiority mm. to, to kind of the, the the circles you're moving in. I've wondered Millie if you could sort of describe where you live now are you quite rural or and how was that to adjust to? I'm in Droitwich, which is quite rural, oh, yeah. and that's where I nurse. There's um, it's not there's the nearest town is Worcester. On my days off, I spend all of my time horse riding, which is oh, my lovely. absolute passion. It's so it's so amazing. I breed my Persian cat, so I'm an official sort of crazy <laughs> cat lady in the making. Um, so I've got three little Persian kittens at the moment, and I've got two other cats. And yeah, I, I rarely go into a town. It's quite funny. When I first was at uh, working in a hospital called Lempstead, I was talking to this little old lady, and, uh, and I lived near Worcester at the time. And she said, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe you. You know, you can cope with the pace of, of Worcester." And I remember thinking, I've just come from London, like, what would she think of that? And now I go into Worcester and I'm a bit like, oh, my gosh, this is too much of a pace for me. <laughs> and where were, where were you living in London, Millie? Whereabouts were you? Were I, was you in, I was in Hackney for nine years. Yeah. Oh, wow. Proper London. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was in, yeah, Haggerston, London Fields. Yeah. Um, and I lived in, before Hackney Downs, not Hackney Downs. Yeah, well, near Hackney Downs. Um, before it all got um, changed into kind of bars and different, you know, uh, studios, we there was a big uh, squat complex called the Peanut Factory where people had workshops in. But we lived in one of me and about four other people. We lived in one of the units, um, like wow. I said, and we were squatting. And it was just you look back on it now and you think, how did I live in that? Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely a young person's uh, oh my God. <laughs> life. There's no way we could manage that now. <laughs> no. I think it's really interesting what you say about pace of life, though, because um, as my job, I used to have to go into, you know, even now I have to go into London regularly, which I haven't done since COVID's hit. And I, I went in about a month ago and I couldn't wait to get out. <laughs> you know, it's like I'm so, um, so used to this, like just staying indoors and going on long dog walks and just being in nature and not doing anything else when I go around lots of people now I'm a bit like (laughs) you know there's so many people that I'm seeing who I would never have imagined would leave London who Mm. are now 
moving out of of the city and I think it's happening more and more frequently um potentially partly because of COVID but also I think that the development of everything and the being priced out has meant that living in London is just so difficult and so many levels and if you can afford it then I think it would continue to be a, a brilliant experience but I think there's there's not many people who are able to get the most out of London on the salary that they're living on. No. Tell us a bit about the the social life where you are now um, Malik because it's obviously very different to um, a squat in Hackney. It is. Um, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm super close with my dad um, and my oh. nursing cohort is very nice. I did I grew up without a mum well from the age of 13 onwards so now to be surrounded by these maternal women who you know Mm. inherently have taken care of their own family and then other people's families for like over four decades sometimes is really nourishing to be around oh that's lovely Um, so most of my time is spent at the stables the there's not that much sort of chat that happens it's all being in lessons or on hacks and just with the animals so it was a nice way to learn to be around people and you know you don't need to communicate which I struggle with like I want to fill the silence people go riding to have peace so it's kind of it forces you into a bit of a meditative state so that's something I'm working on but I I definitely am somebody who tries to fill the silences more often than not. Uh, it must be um, particularly therapeutic, Millie, um, to go from a, a stressful job like you do into, you know, into nature and onto a horse. But I wondered, as an NHS worker, you're facing into a very difficult winter um, ahead. And I wondered, would life have been easier if you had stayed in London in your old job? I think there's a lot of stresses to nursing, which I didn't anticipate, and especially Mm. nursing in the community because you're totally autonomous and you're seeing this one patient today. And if you miss something about, you know, a pressure sore or a sepsis, anything that's, you know, beginning to trigger when you go to go and do a visit for a dressing or whatever, that responsibility, you know, does lie with you. So there's a lot to follow up after having seen a patient um, and the stress of if you've completed everything you needed to do is always with you, you know, when you go to sleep at night. But I think if I would have stayed in London um, doing the job I was doing, I would have felt as lost as I did, if not more than, than after I left. And I think what happened when I went to London was um, a form of escapism. I, I had had a really troubled um young life and struggled with depression and eating disorders and I just saw this opportunity to go to London and and reinvent myself Mm. and establish an identity in this city when nobody knew me as uh something which could benefit me so much and it did and I kind of just lived so vivaciously I almost shook off all of that frustration and sadness that I'd lived with for years and I was so in the moment and so social and you know, there was so much stimulation that I could live at that pace because I hadn't felt that alive in a long time. Mm. But once that kind of momentum started to wear off and I started to feel more comfortable in my own company and more interested in looking inside myself again, then I decided it was time to slow down mm. and, and refocus on a different, you know, mm. kind of life. Do you feel like in some ways um, London, for all the challenges that you faced there, it had some sort of healing qualities for you? It sort of helped you exercise some demons? Uh, yes, 100%. And I watched many kids around me go through this, the same process of exercising their their demons and, you know, living fast and having fun and just 
sleeping when they're at home and then back out. And you can, you know, you, you can live that way for, for a period of time. And I think because I um, had been through such a struggle and had looked such low self-esteem, I um, wanted a way to extrovert myself. Mm-hmm. And London gives you that. You can dress the way you want to. You can you know, be as loud or quiet as you want. Uh, as long as you keep up the pace and you don't go under, it kind of accepts anybody and everybody. Mm. Oh, there's a, there is a magic of London, isn't there? I'm from a small seaside town in Devon and I was fed up of, of, of being in this small pond and I couldn't wait to be in this bigger pond just because I could just truly be me. You know, I didn't have yeah. to follow the norms that were in my little society yeah. and group. I do agree, you've got to watch your path. And um, what I'm really interested in, those friends that you parted with and had that hedonistic time, have yeah. they continued to be your friends since you've left or have you lost some friends? I think a lot of people found the lifestyle I chose a bit questionable and Mm. they weren't terribly supportive of it and it's not terribly exciting dinner conversation a lot of people are uncomfortable with talking about some of the topics Mm. that nursing brings up so I have some people I'll still chat to you know on whatsapp or instagram or some or stuff like that but uh nobody at all Mm. (laughs) funnily enough yeah I I have I have friends from before I went to London, but um, no, uh, and and I'm also, I am quite a solitary person I've come to discover, Mm. which I'm comfortable with in myself, but I didn't know that before. I kind of, I felt the need to be extraordinary and have a lot of people around me to affirm, you know, what I I thought I was. Yeah, and also when you're living that life where it is hedonistic, and believe me, I've been there and done that, got the T-shirt, um, you sometimes just don't have a moment, do you, to think you're just no. on that path, that trajectory of like, yeah, another night out, another night out, brilliant. And it's, um, <laughs> and also it's a bit of a badge of honour in journalism, isn't it? You know, going yeah. in hungover or, you yeah. know. I used to go to premieres and go to the parties for 4am in the morning and then roll up with like two hours sleep and everyone would be like, way, way. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and you'll be like, yeah. And it, it does become this really weird thing, and it's but it would be really easy to get to go down a path that you didn't want to go down. I can so see that, and I think it is painful to lose those friends yeah. because you know you lost you've lost this career, and you've lost you know your home for the past ten years, and then your friends kind of move away. But I guess you think about it. I almost felt like leaving London's like eloping because London is like such a different part of the country, and it's so yeah. unrelatable to so many other cities that that's kind of the way I thought of it I you know nursing the student nurse life is so demanding you have to work full-time on the wards not paid and you have to hand in all of your work and do your exams on time that you can kind of get lost in that and you don't you don't have a second again to think about your social life I feel different now I feel like I don't have the pressure to go out because I have to you can just go out when you want to now and how is it how is it um the dating scene in rural areas is it very different (laughs) well it's mainly sort of online dating but um I I haven't I dated maybe a couple of years ago but I haven't been in a relationship for about three years now um and I'm 34 so I I maybe thought I would have children but as I've gotten a bit older and I do struggle in relationships I made the decision to donate my eggs um which I did last year and I believe the child's been born now and I've written about that for women's health and vice but that was again a way of feeling like society places this expectation on women in their 30s you know are you going to have a child? Why don't you have have a child? And 
you feel looked on in a different light if you mm. don't want to have that maternal experience so for me it was my way of saying th this is why I don't want to or, or think I will have a child but that doesn't mean I don't have maternal instincts mm. or appreciate other women's desire for their own maternal journey mm. that's such an amazing gift like that's the best gift you could give anyone and it's so altruistic and selfless to do that and it's a gift you give to yourself as well because it's mm. a healing process it's uh, I had I was hospitalized with anorexia first when I was 13 oh, um, and I was very very poorly throughout my teenage years and was told we don't think that you will be able to have children because <sighs> of the state of my um, my bones at that time and I didn't menstruate for many years and then to be told that I did have a number of eggs and there was the possibility of me donating them because my reproductive organs had healed was just an incredible way to kind of heal that tumultuous journey that I'd mm. been on. Do you think you'd ever like to meet her or would you? Well, the laws changed now so that um, you can only meet the child uh, when they turn 18 if they want to meet you and That's you right. want to meet them. Yeah. So that makes if, sense. If that was something important to them, then sure, I would say yes. But if it wasn't, then. It, it wouldn't it wouldn't change anything for me as someone who has a real human baby well he's 10 and fur babies can I tell you that fur babies are a lot easier to handle so <laughs> <laughs> if you never go down the route of having children you know you've still got all that love you can give I get so much more love off my dog and my cat I call I call them all my babies as well and my yeah. dad actually calls them the babies so yeah, but I think you can get so much love if you're not an animal person listening to this you probably will never know but if you love animals they give so much it's unbelievable oh I would yeah. not have got through lockdown without my dog and my cat they've kept me sane they are company mm. as well I come yeah. in every open the door and I say hello everyone and my cat will hear my car from like literally blocks oh, down oh. the road and I see him galloping towards my house and I'm like that's all the affirmation I need. I know. <laughs> it's lovely, isn't it? It's so lovely. And you're a vegan as well, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. I think I, I became a vegan about two and a half years ago. Oh. If you've ever seen the programme, What the Hell, then you'll understand. Mm. I think many people I've re recommended it to aren't vegan, so they, they're not going to watch it because they want to carry on enjoying meat. <laughs> <laughs> Do you find that easy to um, deal with when you go out rurally? You know, because obviously in London, every other restaurant's vegan. Yeah. Um, but it's harder when you get a bit further away from the capital. It, it can isn't it? be. And if so, if, you know, I'll just order a salad with none of the extra, you know, I just go without <laughs> because yeah. you can always have something when you get home. It's more the social yeah. experience, you know, of being with people. So yeah. can you pinpoint one thing, Millie, that you're most happy about having left a big city? Is there is there one thing that you enjoy the most about it? It's definitely reconnecting with animals and, and, and my childhood in a way that I have more of a sense of forgiveness. I started um, psychotherapy again quite recently, and I think that all of this has come through moving back to where I'm from and actually facing things that I had run away from to the city before mm. so I'm kind of giving myself the opportunity to heal and I've got support from my four cats dog and guinea pigs and does your <laughs> does your dad live near you Millie is are you near your dad now yes he is he's just about 10 minutes down the road oh, how nice. so um we do everything together we're always walking he's actually got Molly's sister Polly 
So, Molly and Polly. Um, yeah, <laughs> Millie, Molly and Polly. And those two little doggies love each other. So um, it feels like a nice little unit when we're all together. And he must be um, so happy to have you back. It must mean a lot to him. Well, I don't know what he would have spent his time doing before because now I monopolise 90% of it. <laughs> <laughs> Millie, how are you finding things at the minute? How is work for you? It must be quite bizarre in some ways. Do you know, I had to not to speak ill of Boris because this isn't his area, I'm sure, but I did one of the tests for my patient you know for covid the other day yeah and he he's an elderly gentleman and there's no way he could have worked out how to have done that test alone mm. and when you think that like the elderly demographic are the most vulnerable this system that's been created for home testing is so inadequate it's painful because there's such an opportunity there for us to kind of protect and to get ourselves clued up on the numbers and you know looking at the way communities are being affected Mm. um it it does it does make me very nervous um Mm. working um where I am at the moment the the numbers aren't incredibly high but I know that we're preparing for a second wave I'm just hoping that it abates Mm. yeah yeah and do you have any regrets about leaving your old life behind doesn't sound like you do I don't know. I think, I think you know, it was a very privileged life. And I look back at some of the the, the people I met. And if I ever post like, an, like uh, an interview with Lana Del Rey or someone like that, people in this life now are like, what the hell? Like, why did you leave that? And it can, it can trigger me a bit because I can think like they see me in that light when I post that. And yeah. I've got suddenly this respect and interest, whereas the reality of it is it's not representative of me it was a moment and I was kind of important by proxy because I was with this Mm -hmm. person and I don't want to live in the shadow of other people I just want to kind of enjoy being myself fully Mm, I could just talk to you all day I know I could (laughs) thank you we um we Every sort of episode, we ask a listener to get in touch with uh, City Quitting Dilemma. Um, and yeah. I, we thought you would be a brilliant person to give some advice to this week's, if you wouldn't mind. Please leave your message after the tone. So I've just moved away from the city life and I am finding it quite hard to settle into my new countryside location. Are there any tips anyone has for settling into a more rural way of living what I can do to integrate myself into the community any tips oh thanks so much for that question we have the perfect expert here now (laughs) to help answer that because she's done that so what are your tips Lily um I would definitely say you need quite a few hobbies to get yourself stuck into um you can get a bit disheartened if you're spending a lot of time on your social media because you'll be watching pictures and and the highlights yeah. of people you used to be around lives, which kind of aren't relatable to where you're at now. Mm-hmm. So I think stepping away from your social media as much as possible is is really important. There's so many different opportunities to do different things which are far less expensive mm-hmm. where you are in the countryside. So have a look. I think having a friend come and visit you is nice to help come settle you in and to get people to see where you're living and what, what you're doing. So you feel less disconnected. Spend time with the friends that you've got there and maybe see if you can meet some of their wider social circles so you can feel involved in in a group of of new friends. Mm -hmm. I I just basically try to not spend too much time feeling like there's a void of 
of you know like five hours to fill and I don't know what I'm going to do with it because mm. I think having too much time on your hands can feel a bit depressing and overwhelming so mm. cliche as it sounds keeping quite busy is yeah is a, is a good way to try to distract yourself from mm. from wanting to be pulled back to your old life and refocus on the reasons that you wanted to leave in the first place such good advice Millie and you know you mentioned keeping busy what I think is really interesting about you is that you've actually sort of kept your hand in with the writing side of things yeah. so you're you know you're still writing for publications while you're doing your your day job and living in the countryside you've got that connection still there yeah I think because it's still important to me to feel like I'm I've still got that skill because mm. I spent so many years refining it and I think it would be quite sad to feel like I just you know, dropped everything and, and moved away. Uh, again, it's not about running away and escaping something to to try something completely new and reinvent mm. yourself each time. To hold on to the parts of you that were important dur- during each developmental stage of your life. And, you know, even if you're just writing something for yourself or whatever you've been doing previously, keeping in touch with your your media contacts, just to, to feel like you understand what's going on and mm-hmm. you're not just completely dropped off the edge of the planet mm. is, um, I, I think, is helpful. I think as we grow older, and I think this is probably the worry of this this person with this dilemma, is it's it's kind of harder to make friends, isn't it? Like when you're younger, you go to school and even like in your 20s, you're just thrown together in jobs. And that, that's the thing I struggled with when I moved to Bexley and even having a son didn't really help because I don't I don't have a lot in common with mums, traditional mums. So yeah. It's yeah. been quite hard. But I think you're right. If you have interests, then hopefully you'll meet friends who've got a like minded view Definitely. through the interests. Yeah. Well, do you yeah. know, what I, I, I did as well. I'd go to there's a, like a nice coffee place, independent coffee house, and I would go and do my writing there and I'd Great become idea. a regular. So I think it's easier to sit and have a coffee by yourself rather than have a glass of wine. Yes. <laughs> feel more uncomfortable doing that. So going, going and doing my writing and I got chatting to a few of the people who worked there and now I've become friends with them and their wider circle. Yeah. And they're in their early 20s, which is different, but there's always something relatable about different age groups. I'm friends with one of my dad's neighbours, who's 75, and we have a wine each week together and she's oh, interesting in a different way. So yeah. don't be bound by age groups, I think. See beyond just the surface level of, of why you may, might not be friends if you hadn't met in whatever circumstance mm. that you did. I think that, you know, uh, we've all been a certain age or we're all going to be hopefully live to another age. So having <laughs> someone who's been there and done that or as you as the senior or as you as the junior makes a very interesting conversation. And mm-hmm. I think that lack of life experience or loads of life experience doesn't change the person inherently. So it's like you said, like I said, you can just look beyond that. And, um, and you have different types of chats about all kinds of different mm-hmm. things. It's about shifting your perspective and changing what I think you're going to expect to get out of somewhere. I mean, I love the coffee shop anecdote. Can you imagine going into any coffee shop in London regularly enough that you became friends with people? It just wouldn't happen, would it? It No, it really wouldn't. What's nice about moving outside of London is the communities that you encounter are a lot more easy to integrate um, and you don't have to do as much to impress to feel part of a circle of friends. You know, you can... You can just be and all of the funny facets of village or country life. There's a kind of 
really heartwarming. Me and my dad go to this farmer's pub called the Galton. And when you go in there and sit there, you're part of one conversation in the pub. So there are little micro conversations happening, but generally anyone can chip into a conversation at any one point. And everybody's viewpoints are quite funny. You can be as mundane as you want, (laughs) which is quite refreshing sometimes. Yeah, and I, I felt I never felt quite good enough, I think, maybe for London, because mm. London is so incredible. Um, and it's not that I feel, you know, better as a small as, as a big fish in a little pond, but I kind of identify more with people around here, potentially than I did as the person I was in my 20s, mm. feeling part of that scene in London at the time. Mm. So basically, the advice to our, our, our city quitter is, is give it a bit more time. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. also try to analyse if you're just trying to escape the problem by moving where you're at. It's in your head that you need to be. It doesn't necessarily matter so, so much where you're at in the world if you're feeling happy in yourself. So, so try not to keep thinking about shifting where you are and analyse why you want to keep moving away, where the problems are kind yeah. of like pushing you to. So true. Brilliant. Brilliant advice. Thank, Thank you. Thank you so much, Molly. Thank you at home for joining us on All Change, please. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have. And we'll be back in a fortnight's time with another great guest. You can also have a listen to some of our previous episodes. Um, There are some great ones on there about burnout, being priced out and finding your forever home. In the meantime, please review, subscribe and share this podcast if you've enjoyed it. It really helps us out. And we'd love to hear from you if you've got a city quitting dilemma you'd like us to discuss on the show. You'll find us on Twitter at All Change Podcast or email us at allchangepodcast at gmail.com.